The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Today is National Physicians Day. May is Mental Health Month. And as we continue to move through this COVID-19 pandemic, we're playing, paying a, a lot of attention to the numbers, to the cases, to the, to, to the deaths, but maybe not so much on those across the country who are dealing with the situation on the front lines. Yes, we're cheering on the doctors, the nurses, the healthcare aides, the workers in long-term care facilities. But here's the question. What's the plan for them and their mental health when we come through this on the other side. In fact, what is the plan for everybody's mental health? We've already heard reports of doctors and nurses dying by suicide as a result of this pandemic. And there is also plenty of worry about those who have lost their jobs, their businesses. Are we prepared on the other side to deal with the need that is going to be there on the mental health front. Uh, joining us this afternoon is Scott Maxwell, the executive director of Wounded Warriors Canada. And he suggests we really need to get moving on on planning, putting a plan together. Scott, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me on, Jalen. All right. You know what, Scott, you're, you're worried about this. And I'm curious to know what made you start thinking about it. Well, I, uh, I full disclosure, I, my wife is a personal support worker, so for 10 years here in Ontario, and I, I've talked a lot uh, with her. I've seen her friends sit around and discuss some of the challenges that they face within their workplaces generally pre-COVID, uh, knowing the pressures that existed, and also some of the hearing and kind of seeing the, what, the lack of resources that are available for them and their wellness and psychological health. So I thought... Um, my, my whole thought was that the need is going to shift from personal protective equipment for the front line to mental health support coming out of this. And anyway, I'm, we're working on a little bit of an advocacy effort here to to forewarn uh, at these leaders, these sector leaders of the healthcare sector to, to let us learn from the lessons of our past as a nation and, and our experience with veterans, first responders, their families to pr- ensure that they're prepared for what's to come. Let's talk about that experience and and what you what you've learned from um, let's say Afghanistan and what's happened in in the years since then. Um, do you believe Canada was prepared in any way for the mental health crisis that came after um, after our troops came home? Yeah, no, I think it's clear now than more than ever that it, it was it has it had always been a reaction mental health had always been a reactionary effort within the Canadian forces coming through our well during and coming through and after our time in Afghanistan. The numbers just frankly speak for themselves. I mean we've now lost more members of, who served in Afghanistan to, to suicide than those that were killed in theater. Um, the, you know, when it comes to the first responder community, the prevalence of operational stress injuries like PTSD, PTSD is now uh, uh, the front end issue for all services in Canada as the number one priority for their members internally and their families and their overall wellness. So what we've seen through both these, uh, both the veteran community and the first responder community is just a constant reactionary effort to the demands coming to their respective organizations for mental health support and psychological health support overall. So, you know, it's just really important that we don't, we, we take these lessons and we, 
we, we can tend to say to first responder services through our organization that, hey, we, we built our programs that were initially uh, supporting veterans now available to first responders. And, you know, in some ways, consider yourself a bit fortunate that, that the lessons that we've learned, the country's learned, veterans have learned, you know, has been paid for by that community. And so step up and get your members access to these services far sooner than later. Um, it was, I think, Monday night that I had texted you, and it was just um, as a result of something that I saw on the news about a doctor in the States who had who had taken her life just because of, you know, trying to deal with what she was dealing with in the hospital that she was at in the U.S., and I had asked, you know, is there you know wounded warriors is is there anything in place for for healthcare workers through wounded warriors and anyway we 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 began this conversation and you had told me that you had written an op-ed piece that's going to be coming out next week on this exactly and kind of outlining what you've learned and what you've seen from as we said, Afghanistan and how it could be applied moving forward. What are some of those highlights when we talk about um, what needs to be done in this plan? Um, yeah. You know, what, what would be the number one priority right there? Well, I think number one is actually having a comprehensive uh, mental health plan that includes timely access to specialized trauma therapy, you know, no caps on the number of sessions per member uh, for their to access a psychologist, resources for affected family members. We've learned that, especially through uh, veterans, that, you know, the, that the Canadian Forces always took care of their own being the members, but of course, families are the home front, uh, the front line there, and just were never without, whatever with access to mental health supports. And navigational support. One of the things that we've heard time and time again within by, from veterans, from first responders, is how to access services that are available and from one central place or one point of contact, one phone call, that just have, have created barriers to care, which is what this whole exercise needs to be about, is obviously the reduction of barriers to mental health care. So these are some of the things that we're suggesting. And, and when people come forward, and take that knee and put their hand up and access support that they're fully supported within their workplace from their leadership on down and that mental health is for their own people is embedded through and through as a, as a, as a resource that they should feel comfortable and have a timely access to. So those are the kinds of things that we're suggesting all part of a comprehensive mental health strategy for these sectors. And I'm talking, we're talking about physicians, you know, doctors, nurses, personal yeah. support workers, that, that community. Who should be responsible for doing this? Well, they do say that, uh, you know, leadership uh, is as much, as much a mental health issue as mental health itself on the medical side. And we firmly uh, agree. When we're, what we're seeing in terms of change, production of stigma, better access, comprehensive mental health strategies has really been driven from the top down. It's been driven from leadership stepping forward and uh, embracing and endorsing mental health as an overall strategy through and through the service. So we have made gains and I think that's got to be, that falls on the shoulders of some of the leaders that are overseeing all these people, their members, and we're going to need to see that in the medical community as well. I, I've just done some cursory looking online to see what any, has there been any announcements in Canada from any of these medical associations or management leaders in the sector, and I could barely pull up two articles nationally where this discussion uh, has even begun, has even uh, began. That's a bit of concern. 
Scott Maxwell is the executive director of Wounded Warriors Canada and uh, waving the flag about uh, the mental health of our health care workers um, coming through this pandemic. You had mentioned taking a knee and uh, I wanted to cycle back to that because in um, the article that you wrote, you said long as existing staffing issues need to be addressed so members no longer feel that they're letting their teams or partners down when they take the requisite steps to access mental health care. Um, through your work at Wounded Warriors, mm. how did you find that that was, was so important, that that was a really important um, uh, piece of this puzzle? Yeah, that really comes from our experience working with first responders more so uh, than the military. And, and what we see when we're looking at um, pathways to death by suicide, for example, there's been lots of study and reporting on what is what's leading to this. What are some of the causes of these horrible tragedies? And time and time again, and through all the reports that I've read, uh, members and wellness supports, peer support teams, and members themselves I've spoken to, it has been that one single issue has come up a lot in that staffing, in that uh, you're working in pairs, let's say, if, if you don't want to leave your partner to take up the work that won't be filled, you just don't have the support within your service or your platoon to, to, to take that leave, knowing that that will be backfilled, or there's other ways in which they're going to cover for you. And subsequently, what we've heard is that they don't take the time off, which means they don't get the help often enough, and which means the, the, their issues and their struggles tend to persist. And that's something that needs to needs to be eradicated within the first responder community writ large. Writ large. And I, I don't know, I don't purport to know everything within the medical community, that's for sure. But I just I just think that's got to be part of, the, of any overall comprehensive mental health strategy. We are we are months, a couple of months into this now, Scott. And and again, like I said, you're waving the flag on on the fact that you have, you believe and uh, that uh, a program needs to be put in place. Talk about the importance of early inter- intervention. What you've seen. I mean, the earlier people get to it, the earlier people get help. How that helps in the long run. Yeah, we've seen that uh, again through our mental health services. It started with veterans when we were just beginning as an organization back in 2013 doing this work. Uh, veterans were coming to us kind of as their last resort. They had been medically released. It was the, something they were going to try to just to, to you know get well. And it was sometimes you felt as though, man, you wish you could have accessed and reached them years earlier. With first responders coming through our organizational morphing to include the, that sector within our program delivery. We've seen now uh, very positive steps in that the vast majority of first responders accessing our mental health services are still actively employed, um, which is unbelievable. And we're seeing if they're off within that critical six-month window, they get some of you know access to, to trauma support and learning how to reg- regulate it and process it. We see them returning to work uh, and then becoming a peer advocate, if you will. So, you know, and for similarly in the military, we're accessing members who have not been discharged from the Canadian Forces. So early intervention, not unlike physical health, is just as critical in mental health. And, you know, and I think that will make sense to a lot of your listeners. Okay. Um, is wounded warrior, when you talk about first responders, some people would say, okay, you know what, doctors, nurses, these healthcare workers are first responders. Is Wounded Warriors Canada set up to help um, the, the, the healthcare staff that we're talking about right now? Mm-hmm. So, so certainly the programs that we have and deliver are set up to uh, to help to help their members in that where we teach you know currently veterans and first responders how to regulate process 
trauma, the impacts of trauma. It doesn't matter where, when, or how somebody came, became injured, whether that's overseas or here in Canada. So yes, we have the ability to transition some of our services for for healthcare. That's going to take uh, partnerships extensively within uh, these sectors to come together as we have done in the, with veterans and first responders, work together and customize a little bit of a different approach for the unique needs of the, of the, of the front line on the healthcare side. So short answer is yes, it's going to take work and partnerships and, and advocacy and, and that's really what we're beginning with now. Okay, I was wondering, has that started yet? Yes, absolutely. We're reaching out and we'll continue to reach out a little bit through COVID, but obviously there's some pressure associated (laughs) with that. But I'm thinking coming out of it, and I don't mean in years' time, I mean in weeks and months' time, that we can really get down to having these fulsome discussions, put plans in place, and they can look to Wounded Warriors Canada potentially, you know, as a subject matter expert on the trauma piece of this equation, where which is what we are and who we are and what we do. So that's my hope in all of this, but it has to start with a conversation. Scott, uh, thank you for this conversation. I appreciate it, and you're right. We can't wait. We can't wait years. I mean, this has to be done in the weeks, in the months uh, ahead of us, because as you said, we've learned lessons from the past. Um, so let's let's capitalize on that while we can. If you want to find out more about Wounded Warriors, you can go to woundedwarriors.ca. Scott, uh, you and your team, thanks for all the great work that you continue to do uh, in the communities uh, across the country. We really appreciate it, and thanks for waving the flag on this one as well it's my pleasure thanks for always having us on yeah always great to talk to you scott maxwell the executive director of wounded warriors canada